this question. You don't have to answer it, just ask yourself. If there was one thing that you could possess more of, what would it be? Let me put it another way to give you another thing to think about. What do you think is the Christian's greatest asset and what are you willing to do to get more of it? And that's the question I want to talk about this evening. What I've tried to do in the last few weeks, this will be our fifth week we've been together, is cover what I believe are some of the critical areas in the Christian faith, in the Christian life, and what have been the things that have been extremely important in my own spiritual journey. I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. We're going to read a lot tonight from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 1 and verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Only fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now I'd like you to turn to Proverbs chapter 2. And we're going to start with verse 1. And I just want you to follow along in your Bible. If you don't have one, you can just listen, okay? My child, listen to me and treasure my instructions. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and understanding. Search for them as you would for lost money or hidden treasure. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you'll gain knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of good sense to the godly. He is their shield, protecting those who walk with integrity. He guards the path of justice and protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair, and you will know how to find the right course of action every time. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise planning will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. Wisdom will save you from evil people, from those whose speech is corrupt. These people turn from right ways to walk down dark and evil paths. They rejoice in doing wrong. They enjoy evil as it turns <clears throat> as it turns things upside down. What they do is crooked and their ways are wrong. Wisdom will save you from the immoral woman, from the flattery of the adulterous woman. She has abandoned her husband and ignores the covenant she made before God. Entering her house leads to death. It is the road to hell. The man who visits her is doomed. He will never reach the paths of life. Follow the steps of good men instead and stay on the paths of the righteous. For only the upright will live in the land and those who have integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be removed from the land and the treacherous will be destroyed. Now the next chapter. My child, never forget the things I've taught you. Store my commands in your heart for they will give you a long and satisfying life. Never let loyalty and kindness get away from you. Wear them like a necklace. Write them deep in your heart. Then you'll find favor with both God and people. You'll gain a good reputation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Never depend on your own understanding. Seek His will and His ways in all you do, and He will direct your path. Never be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn your back on evil. Then you will gain renewed health and vitality. Now go to chapter 4, verse 1. My child, listen to me. Listen to your father's instruction. Pay attention and grow wise, for I am giving you good guidance. Don't turn away from my teaching, for I too was once my father's son, tenderly loved by my mother as an only child. My father told me, take my words to heart. Follow my instruction and you will live. Learn to be wise and develop good judgment. Don't forget or turn away from my words. Don't turn your back on wisdom. For she will protect you, love her, and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do or possess. And whatever else you do, get good judgment. If you prize wisdom, she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will place a lovely wreath on your head and she will present you with a beautiful crown. My son, my child, actually it says my son, Solomon is writing this to his son. Listen to me and do as I say and you will have a long good life. I will teach you wisdom's ways and lead you in the straight paths. If you live a life guided by wisdom, you won't limp or stumble as you run. Carry out my instructions. Don't forsake them. Guard them for they will lead you to a fulfilled life. 
Do not do as the wicked do or follow the path of evildoers. Avoid their hangout. Turn away and go somewhere else. For evil people cannot sleep until they've done their evil deed for the day. They cannot rest unless they have caused someone else to stumble. They eat wickedness and drink violence. The way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, which shines ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like complete darkness. Those who follow it have no idea what they're stumbling over. Pay attention. Do what I say. Listen carefully. Never lose sight of my words. Let them penetrate deep within your heart, for they bring life and radiant health to anyone who discovers their meaning. Above everything else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. Now I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 8, verse 1. Listen as wisdom calls out. Hear as understanding raises her voice. She stands on the hilltop at the crossroad, at the entrance to the city. At the city gate she cries aloud. I call to you, to all of you, I am raising my voice to all people. How naive you are. Let me give you common sense. Oh foolish ones, let me give you understanding. Listen to me, for I have excellent things to tell you. Everything I say is right, for I speak the truth and hate every kind of deception. My advice is wholesome and good. There is nothing crooked or twisted in it. My words are plain to anyone with understanding, clear to those who want to learn. Choose my instruction rather than silver and my knowledge over pure gold. For wisdom is far more valuable than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. That is why I hate pride, arrogance, corruption, and perverted speech. Good advice and success belong to me. Insight and strength are mine. Because of me, kings reign and rulers make good laws. Rulers lead with my help and nobles make righteous judgment. I love all who love me. Those who search for me will surely find me. Unending riches, honor, wealth, and justice are mine to distribute. My gifts are better than the purest gold. My wage is better than sterling silver. I walk in righteousness in paths of justice. Those who love me inherit wealth for I fill their treasuries. And then Proverbs 9, 10 and 11. Teach the wise and they will be wiser. I'm verse 9. Teach the righteous, they will learn more. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in understanding wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. Of all the things that you could possess, of all of them, there is none, none more valuable than wisdom. None. Of all the things that God can give to you, besides the Holy Spirit who is permanently in you. When you came a Christian, you got Him. But wisdom is a possession that is not yet yours. It is out there waiting to be attained, waiting to be searched for, waiting to be sought after, waiting to be looked at and gazed upon and uncovered. I was reading today that um, to be a millionaire is the highest rated program on television. And when they publicized the 1-800 number for uh, possible contestants, the phone lines have been jammed ever since. They've received hundreds of thousands of calls for people who want to go on a show with a chance to win money. Our entire society in America, the world you could say, but in America in particular, is completely crazy about money. We want money. And yet the book of Proverbs says, Do you seek wealth? Seek it not, for it takes the wings of an eagle and it's gone. The Bible says that only a fool sets his heart on riches. The wise person sets their heart on God, never puts their trust or their hope in money. Money is the God in America. It is God. People will sell their soul, their body, they'll kill for it. However they can get more money. They'll make a fool out of themselves as long as they can get more money. And yet, there is something God tells us and it's free that is worth far more than rubies, than gold, and than silver. 
as I look back over my 24 years of following Christ, and as I look back of 20 years of marriage and almost to 20 years of being a father, and then I look back on almost 14 years of being a pastor and dealing not only with the complexities of life as I live it and my children live it and my wife and I, but on the complexities of all the people that I shepherd, that I have offered guidance to and advice to over the years, in all those years, I at least had the common sense to recognize my own stupidity, my own frailty, my own complete and utter inadequacy to succeed. I remember when Kathy and I were first courting and we didn't, you didn't have email in those days, but we had those old little Panasonic tabletop, you know, recorders. And so what we would do sometimes is we'd talk in and send each other tapes in the mail. And uh, so she sent me one time a tape of her singing to uh, her guitar. She played just a little bit. And um, there was this song <coughs> that she had learned in the church there. And it was to Proverbs 3, 5. And it was, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. And I used to go over that passage over and over and over and over because, you know, particularly as a man, um, and I think anyone can be susceptible, male or female, but one of the reasons, by the way, ladies, I don't want you to feel picked on when it talks about the immoral woman. It's just that men are highly susceptible to flattery. They're highly susceptible to smooth-talking, sweet-smelling, cute-looking woman. And Solomon knew that. And that's why he was giving... This was a book that he wrote particularly for his son. And he's writing it to him. And so I've gone over this with, my, with my, all my children, but as well with my son. Wisdom will save you from the immoral woman, but nothing else will. If you think you have the strength to uh, resist her seduction without the wisdom of God, well, you're an idiot. I mean, he just says there's no getting around it. He's just really stupid. If you think another passage in Proverbs says, can a man take fire in his bosom and not be burned? No. <laughs> no, that's the point. You get close, you're going to get burned. And I look back and I think, Lord, you know, this is what I've meant. And, you know, it's part of what I try to do as a pastor is just share my life with you because, you know, we're family. And we don't really get to hang around or have family reunions together. I wish I could know all of you in a personal way. We could just hang out a lot. But So I have to try to do that publicly. And that's why I share these things. And I, Sometimes when I sit back in my chair and tears fill my eyes and I realize how rich I am, I'm really rich. Not rich like um, Bill Gates. I'm not rich like Bill Gates. Not even close. I'm richer than Bill Gates. He's not even close to me. You see? I don't want to be close to him. I know what I'd do with his money if I had it. But that's irrelevant. I have what he doesn't. I have wisdom that comes from God. Wisdom that comes from walking with God, seeking after God, calling out after God, pursuing after God, and getting into his word and going, Lord, what do you have to say? I remember <clears throat> shortly became, before I became a father, I went through the book of Proverbs and I had a... I wished I could get these. They're out of print. Um... In the early days of Evergreen, I could still order them, but it's the Living Proverbs, <clears throat> and it's just in a little book that you can carry in your pocket. And I went through it, and I underlined every verse on children, every verse on being a dad. And then, because the Bible says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, I underlined every verse on a fool. So it helped me identify what a fool's like, and when I know they were being a fool, and what I needed to do to get the fool out of them. So they didn't stay a fool. And you know... I have, a, I have a, a saintly mother. I have a very godly mother. But even my mother was opposed to my method of discipline, which I all got from the Bible. But she was unwilling as I grew up to impose that kind of discipline. And today, today, the fruit is there. The proof is in the pudding. And, but I got it from the Bible. And others told me, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. That isn't right. Science has proved that's wrong. I didn't believe it. I never have believed it. 
I don't believe she ever abuse a child. I don't believe you ever smack a child, slap a child. But I believe there's a biblical way to discipline them. And I believe they need lots of love and lots of affection. And they need a father like Solomon who sit down and talk to them about life on a regular basis and paint a picture for them so they can see what the consequences of sin really are. And that's not easy and it's hard and it's difficult. And there are many times, you know, that I... Um, I fell down in my responsibilities. But what I'm trying to say is that God has wisdom for you about life. Wisdom for you about life. I'm going to give away just a tidbit of what I'm going to say this weekend since it kind of applies here. I remember, as also as a young father, I began thinking, Lord, now I know a lot of Christian men and women really love the Lord. That, that, you know, did their best to love their kids. Now, I didn't live with them every day, so of course, you know, I mean, I didn't have an inside view. But, but for whatever reason, as a child got older, they seemed to go kind of to the world. And so, I, I just racked my brain. And I mean, when it says dig, you know, I dig and I dig and I go, Lord, now I don't want to miss anything. Okay, I don't want to be like dumb here. Show me some principles. And I remember one day, I was reading in, in uh, Corinthians and had nothing to do with parenting. And I came across this phrase, bad company corrupts good morals. And it was like a light bulb went on. And you know what God said to me? He said, you know what, Mark? You can teach your child morality, but, but, if they get around bad friends and you allow that to persist, their corrosive effect will rust your kid. Never, I never thought of it before. Never thought of it. And I got to tell you, I'm like a pit bull. Always was with who my kids were around. Even the Christians they were around. And I remember some of the things that happened in the neighborhood and some of the other things. And I remember one time, my wife and I, we had this, this was back before we lived here. And we had this couple that was, they loved us. I mean, they, the wife really loved my wife and the husband I gave a, work, a ride to work, every day to work. And um, one day, they have, they have two sons that are, uh, that, well, one's my son's age and one's two years older. And when Jeremy's about four, uh, the, the boy who was a little older, he walked up behind him and just for the fun of it, smacked him down to the ground, he slammed his head on the concrete and it, you know, blood's everywhere, and it turned his teeth black. They turned black within a week. And they stayed that way for the next four years. And I remember, you know, I stayed fairly controlled. I thought, you know, there's nothing I can do. Little kids do dumb things. And then a couple days later, the little boy took one of our kittens. He was out in the front. Our, this cat, we had had kittens. And he's swinging around by the tail. So that was two things in a week. And then uh, the wife offered to watch our, watch our kids because Kathy had to go to the doctor and so while they were over there, one of the little boys just took a pencil and he was just out of control. He went, boom, hit Jeremy just above the eye right here. And I got home that night. Kathy explained to me what happened. And I said, sweetheart, that's it. That's it. You're going to talk to him and talk to him. Our children will no longer play with those children. And if they hate us for the rest of their life, that's it. And I remember driving to work with this uh, dad. And we were very close. And um, I told him, I won't tell you his name, I'll just call him Bob. I said, Bob, and I, with tears in my eyes, I said, listen, I, my wife and I, we love you, but i got to tell you something, okay? And, and it's not going to be easy to hear. But I cannot, I will not allow my kids to play with your kids anymore. Okay? And I said, what's more than that is I want to tell you something. If you don't do something, if you don't do something really soon, when these two boys hit their teen years, all hell is going to break loose. Well, he took it not really good, but he didn't get mad. Eventually, we moved here and they stayed there. And then about six years after I was here, the wife called in tears. Said, I don't know what to do. Our oldest is sleeping around. He's using. And I just wept. I told him and I told him and I told him. And he never took me seriously. Well, finally... Praise God, this young man ended up in one of the LTs. You know in the summer, you don't see me for about a month. This is where I'm at. I'm in Myrtle Beach speaking to 
high school students and college students. And I was speaking during a session. He had since become a wrestler, strong, tough guy. But for some reason, he came to the LT. And this particular night, I was just laying into the kids about the pathetic way they treat their parents, about don't come here and play a game with me. If you say you love God, you go home and you honor your mother and father. And if you're not willing to do that, you shouldn't even be here. And I mean, it was, it was, it was scalding. And I got many calls from parents thanking me because a lot of the kids went home and did what I told them. They wrote letters to their parents and they repented. This young man, he came up to me afterwards crying like he was two years old. And I held him and he sobbed and he sobbed and he sobbed. And he said, Mark, everything you said was true about me. Everything, everything. I have put my mother and father through hell. He went home, he repented, and he turned around. But you know, I thought to myself, as I went home and I was crying, I thought, Lord, I'm so glad he repented, but darn it, Lord, I wished it hadn't taken me. I wished he would have listened. I wished his dad would have listened. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully. God's word here is a wealth of wisdom. Now, all of our children are human. And I don't want anyone here to get me wrong. Children and us, we're going to struggle in life. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to struggle. We don't get freaked out when someone makes a mistake. Okay? But keep fighting. Keep fighting and keep going after God's wisdom. Keep crying out. I mean, because it's a promise. See, it's either true or God's a liar. But he says, if you want it, cry out for it, seek for it, search for it, go after it. And this is one of the reasons, and I'm going to, I don't know if I'll say this this weekend or not, but this is also one of the reasons why we taught our kids at home. And by the way, I'm not telling you it's biblical to do it. I'm only explaining you why. You can do what God lays on your heart to do. But I knew the danger of public school was not evolution. I don't worry about evolution. The danger is 40 other little piranhas that impress themselves on your child. And if that little tree that you're raising isn't ready yet, he's going to bend with the crowd. She's going to bend with the crowd. See, and I knew that. I knew that. In fact, I had, a, I had something in mind It would have been really special this weekend, but um, this young lady's not free to do this, but she just graduated last year and she comes to the rock and she's become very close to our family. And I was going to have her come and share with you, person to person, just the impact that bad company has had on her life. Almost ruined her life. But I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. You think back in your own life, many of you. Think about the first time you drank or the first time you were whatever, immoral, or the first time you used. I'll bet 50 bucks that for most of us in this room, is it because we wanted other people around us to think we were cool and because some of the friends we're hanging around were doing the same thing. And we didn't have the courage to look them in the eye and say, you know what, you're ignorant. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And I thought back over my years as a young person. My mother and father, they did try really hard. I mean, there was mistakes that were made to teach me morality. I knew right from wrong. But all the people I hung around, they were crossing lines. So I decided I'd cross lines. And I thought to myself, of all the wonderful, godly Christian people in, the, in America who've had all that they've worked to do undermined because of some punk or a group of punks or a whole group of young people that have corrupted what they did because that young person was not yet ready and, 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 and by the way, there comes a time when this has to happen. And Jesus said it. He said, I am sending you as sheep to the wolves. Okay, you, I, I'm not into hiding life from my children. I never hid life from my children. But there's got to be this protective barrier, this shield that you will fight for so that the corrosive influence of society, particularly of friends, bad friends, does not impact them. And you know what? I want to tell you this case you were wondering. I could care less if any of my kids want anybody to Christ. they got the rest of their life to do that. I'm not about to put my kid on the altar of sacrifice for one kid to come to Christ while in the meantime it's corroded their morality. Does that make sense? Do you understand that? Now, others may have a different opinion and that's fine. That's fine. It really is. But I'm not saying mine's right. I'm just trying to explain to you why I've done what I've done. God's Word gives you wisdom for your marriage. 
He gives you wisdom for your relationships. He gives you wisdom for your money. There's no reason. I want you to know this. Brent's doing a class, and if you've never taken it, I would encourage you to take Money Matters. Because God has given Brent an uncommon degree of wisdom when it comes to finances. You do not have to be under the burden of money, money, and burdened by it. There are simple principles in the Bible. Controlling your impulses. Avoiding debt when at all possible. Learning to save. Learning to just do with the things that you have. I was telling my son today, I'm, I'm always trying to plant seeds. And I was telling Jeremy, I got a feeling, don't spread this too far, that in about four years my son will be married. Okay? And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure that's probably going to happen. And um, so I'm telling Jeremy, he said, you know what Jeremy said, you realize how lucky you are uh, to, to, for one, have had the upbringing you have, but two, right now you've you got no debts and, and pretty soon, you know, he'll probably five more months have $16,000 saved. And then you pay for college. You'll be done with college, no debts. And then, if you want, and I would advocate this, but, you know, you, you don't have to, I, I want you to live at home. You'll come out of this web page design uh, course that he's going to take and probably be able to make forty to sixty thousand dollars. You realize you'd be able to have twenty or thirty thousand in a bank. And I said, I can show you tomorrow how to buy a Toyota Camry for under three thousand dollars that will last you a hundred thousand miles. And it'll be paid for. You'll be driving a fancy car with air conditioning, a heater will work out a rear window defogger, and everything you need, even have mag wheels. Do you realize the position of strength that that will be for you? He just smiles. Yep, and, and so far, you know, he's told me, Dad, I'm do, do exactly what, the, you know, there's a plan here. I wish I'd have had that. Now, I, I'll tell you this. I, my trials were my seminary training, so I'm thankful for them. But now that I'm smarter <laughs> and I have more wisdom, I realize, you know, there's a better way to go about life. There's a better way. And as I'm driving down the freeway today and I'm looking to the right and I'm looking to the left and I'm thinking, boy, I feel for Americans who feel like they have to go out and buy a 1999 or a 2000 vehicle, pay $27,000. The average price right now I read recently was 22000 I know some people that have two of them and they're trying to make a house payment and they're trying to raise two little kids and nothing but pressure, pressure, no joy in their life, no relaxation in their life. And, and my advice is, sell the stuff and get something that's reliable, will drive you around, don't worry about the status. If you got to sell down the house, sell down the house. The market's really good right now. It's probably worth a lot more than when you bought it. And get in something that's a little more doable. All these answers are right here in the Bible. All these answers right here in the Bible. Take the relationships you have with your, your spouse or your friends. Nothing's going to come back to haunt you more in relationships than violating the Scripture. Okay? Now, my relationship with my wife and I, it's not perfect. I mean, come on. you got two sinners of the opposite sex living under the same roof. Okay? That's, that's asking for trouble. And one's very choleric. And the other is fairly melancholy. And so, um, but God put us together. Now, I was sharing with a friend recently. You know, after you've been married 20 years, you kind of, you, you can hit a wall. And that wall is boredom. That wall is, wow, this has been a long time. Same person. <laughs> and uh, they got a lot of flaws. And, um, you know, a person's not like the walls of your house. You can paint them if you don't like the color. You know, uh, if the carpeting's old and stained, you replace it. But when the person you marry is older and their teeth are yellowing and their personality is stained in your mind, if you're not going to do what the Bible says, I'll just tell you something right now, you won't make it. And secondly, the girl or the guy that you're getting to know at work is going to look real good to you. It's only because you're a fool and you don't know them. You don't realize that they're probably more human than the model that you know. 
Well, there's a couple little principles that as, as I was, as, and I continue to apply them, by the way, and I'm going to get to this in closing, how to get wise, because that's real important. All the knowledge in the world in the Bible will not do any of us any good if we don't do it. See, application, that's how you get wise. First you go after it, you seek it, then God opens your eyes, then you have to apply it. It's the application where most people fall down. James 1.22 says, The one who looks intently at the perfect law, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man or woman will be blessed in what they do. So you have to ask yourself, are you a doer? There's a, two or three little principles that really helped me in my marriage. One is, in Philippians, <clears throat> it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, lovely, upright, noble, excellent, praiseworthy, Put your mind on these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, let's be honest. Have you ever been with a friend? Girls especially, I think, will relate to this, but I think guys can relate to this too. And your girlfriend is married and she's telling you what a slob she's married to. Have you ever had that happen? He's just, oh, if you had this, you know what he did the other day? And they go off on you. And you know what girls typically do? They empathize. Shouldn't do that, but they do. They empathize. And you know what? You take on that offense. And next time you see him, first thing that comes to your mind is, what a pig. He's a slob. He's a jerk. That's what happens. That's what happens. I know this because I've watched it happen. Right, ladies? Nod your head. I see a lady agreeing with me. Right? It happens. It happens. And the first thing you think is you want to defend it. You think, that moron, that filthy, vile pig. You know, that's what goes through your mind. Okay? Here's what the Bible says. Gossip separates intimate friends. Okay, don't ever underestimate the power of gossip and slander to separate you from your closest friend. Now, in a marriage, do you know what happens? It's happened to me. It's nobody else slandering my wife. It's me slandering her in my thoughts. It's me walking out in the morning, blankety blank, stupid man. I tell you, I cannot believe this woman. Nothing ever makes her happy. And you're going down your list, you know, in your mind. I'm not doing that as I walk out. Usually I show you outwardly some of the things that are going on inwardly. Okay? And I'm sitting in the car and you're grabbing the steering wheel and you're thinking, man, I just don't believe this, Lord. When is this ever going to... Well, one day, uh, years ago, as I was, you know, hitting this wall, hitting this wall, I realized... Mark, darling, you are violating this principle. Now, here's, here's another important thing. You need to keep your heart soft towards God. And here's how. Here's one of the ways, not the only way, but it's one of the ways you know it's soft. Has anybody ever shared something with you that was a need in your life, and instead of getting defensive, you cried? Because your heart was so soft to the reality that I really want to grow, and you know what? You're right. That's one of the ways you know is your heart's soft. And sometimes when you're reading the scripture and if you're, if you're really seeking God, say, Lord, speak to me. Psalm 139, there's a prayer at the end of it and I pray it often. It says, search me and try my heart, O Lord, and show me if there's any offensive way in me and then lead me in your way. Now, I'll be the first one to admit that I can be real offensive. And, and there's times there's been offensive ways in me. They're just habits and they've been that way with Kathy. You know, she's been primarily the recipient of my grossest offensiveness. And and I remember I was just having a normal quiet time, but I had prayed and, and I really wanted answers. And I saw that verse, you know, the first thing that happened is I started to cry. Because I realized, you know what, Lord? If someone gave me a piece of paper right now and a pencil and said, you've got uh, 30 seconds to write down what you appreciate about your spouse... I wouldn't have anything probably in three minutes. But if they said, write down everything that bothers you about him, I'd have it in ten seconds. I'd have ten things down on this sheet of paper. That's how fresh they are in my mind. I keep them right there all the time. This was many, many years ago. This principle, I've never gotten away from it. And often I've had guys that'll ask me, Mark, you know, what's your wife's biggest need? Now, my wife has needs. I don't want anyone to think I married a saint, although sometimes I think she is. But but I, I remember looking at a friend when he asked me this and he said, you know, I really don't know. You don't know. You must not know your wife very well. And I said, 
you know, it's not really that. It's that I'm always telling myself how good I have it. That has become my habit over the years. I tell myself, Mark, she's this, she's this. Thank you, Lord, she's this. Thank you for this. And that again, that doesn't mean there are things that don't rub me the wrong way. But what I'm saying is, I've sought to apply that to my children. I've sought to apply that to my life, to my uh, finances, to the friends, the fellow pastors that I have. Lord, what's the good thing? What's the admirable thing? Because anybody can get in the gutter real fast. And what happens if you stay in the gutter in your marriage? First thing that happens is you start to emotionally withdraw. And you know it. And you know I'm talking to you. And the next thing that happens is you start to physically withdraw. You don't mind if you don't hold hands anymore. You don't mind if you don't have much sex anymore. And the next thing that happens is you start looking somewhere else. Now, that's one principle. Another principle the Bible tells us is forgive just as the Lord forgave you. We do not forgive because of the worthiness of the recipient to be forgiven. We do not forgive because they deserve it. We do not forgive because they asked. We forgive, I forgive, because God forgave me. And I do not wait around for Kathy to come and say, um, Mark, um, you know what I said a minute ago? I, I was wrong, and I'm sorry, would you forgive me? I don't ever wait for that. I don't ever wait for that. And I'm telling you, sometimes there is a hurt. Or sometimes I'm just like, oh man, and I just, and I, I don't want to forgive, Lord. I don't want to forgive. Doggone it, I'm sick of forgiving this. And she can say the same thing. I'm sick of forgiving that. But in my heart, I know this. If I don't guard over my heart with everything in me, it'll start to rot from bitterness and I'll end up like my father. See, can I tell you a little secret? All the bad people that you've known in your life, and some of you had fathers and mothers like mine who maybe deserted you, thank God for them. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because there are warning signs in your life. And you can look at them, and I don't have any bitterness towards my father, but I'll tell you this. No way in heaven or hell that I'm going to do what my father did or I'm going to become my dad. And I just think about the pain he caused to my mother. I think about the pain he caused to six children. I think about the pain he caused to his relatives. I think about the pain that he's living every day in his life. I'm not going there. I forgive. I will not get bitter. I will not store resentment. I forgive. And I don't care what's done to me. I will forgive it. But see, I learned that from the Bible. I learned that in the Bible. Not from some big course, you know, that I went through, but it was as I read the Bible with a soft heart and I said, God, I confess, I mean by confess, I acknowledge all my inadequacies. I have so many of them. I'm inadequate in everything. I know that I will be a terrible dad. I know that I'll be a terrible husband. I know that without you, I will actually ruin this family. So God, help me today. I need your help today. That's how you know you fear the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know what the fear of the Lord means? It means you're scared to death to live life on your own and you realize God knows what He's saying. You know, if, if Bill Gates was going to show up here this weekend, we told him, yeah, Bill Gates is going to be here and he's going to give you some investment, inside information, how you can turn a thousand year dollars into a hundred thousand this year. I promise you, we'd fill this auditorium three times and there'd be people standing outside. You know why? Because they have a deep respect for Bill Gates and what he's been able to do. If I told you every day God wanted to talk to you, we oversleep. Isn't it rare sometimes that we make time for God? Just open His book and ponder it and cry out to God and say, God, give me help. But let me tell you something. Uh, brother and sister, when God, every day, every day God, the Bible says, His eyes search to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for someone He can support. He wants to support anybody whose heart is completely His. And when he sees the attitude of your heart, says, God, I'm here. God, I need you. God, I am. my life is broken without you. My world will not work without you. And because I have such deep respect for you, I ask you, guide me, lead me. And then you open, your, you open to his word and you meditate on it and you search it out and then you obey it. Tell you what, God's going to do some powerful things 
in your life. Powerful things in your life. And that's the only way. See, becoming a Christian was like being born as a baby. As a human baby. Okay? You're a baby. Now you've got to grow into adulthood. You've got to learn a trade. If you don't learn a trade or get some skill, you'll be broke all your life. When you became a Christian, you became God's little kid. You got the Holy Spirit. That's child's play. That will do you no good if you don't get educated. That will do you no good if you stay in a baby form. You'll have just as many problems as a non-Christian. Just as many. You have to have a deep fear of God. Do you know Muslims pray three to five times every day? Do you realize that Muslims, Muslim males rise all through the night? They get their family up two times a night, like at, I think it's uh, midnight and three in the morning, and they go into one room in the house, and they all bow to Mecca, and then go back to bed? And they're all going to die and go to hell. Because Allah is an idol. There is no Allah. There's only Yahweh, Jehovah, God, Jesus Christ, Lord and King of Kings. Until, brother and sister, and you don't have to get up at four in the morning, you don't have to get up at midnight, but until you bring about that kind of devotion which shows God your earnestness for wisdom, you're not going to get it. I'm just being honest, you're not going to get it. The Bible tells us, back in Proverbs, I want you to think about this a moment. If I told you, I knew where each of you lived, and I had the money, and you knew this was not made up, that I had buried in each of your yards, one foot beneath the surface, a box containing $100,000 in cash, would you get a shovel, and you knew you could trust me, would you get a shovel and start digging? You know you would. You know you would. I would. And, and my property that I'm renting as an acre. And I'd be digging. Huh. Except what I'd do, since they told me it was in a metal box, is I'd get one of those metal deals and go, there, start there. Okay? I'd dig. Well, I want to tell you something. I'd rather know what I know than be rich. And I'd rather have the marriage, the family, the life, the body of believers that I've have the promises, the comfort, the peace than all the money in the world. And I really, really mean that. Now, it's for all of you. It's your birthright. It's yours to possess. It's yours to have. But it doesn't come easily. God wants to find out if you want it. God needs to know you really care about it because i tell you what, the Bible says He does not cast His pearl before swine. God doesn't call you a pig. You're not a pig. Here's what it means. Pigs don't care about jewelry. So why in the world would you throw them in front of them? And God will not give his nuggets of truth, rubies of gold, rubies and gold, to human beings who don't care to know. You'll never uncover them. You'll never discover them. But I'll tell you this, the Bible says in Proverbs that he holds victory in store for the upright. For the person who goes after him, the person will be found by God. And God will let you know His truth. I have no right to what God has blessed me with. I don't deserve it. I'd be the first one to admit to you, I don't deserve it. I have fallen down more times than I could ever possibly count. I have said things that should have never been said. But God in His mercy has been merciful to me. A sinner, a worm, a dog. And I know what I really am. And I also know who God really is. And if He's willing to give it to me, the Bible says, if any man or woman lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men without reproach. In other words, He doesn't make you feel like a dummy. But you got to ask. But then you know what it says? But let not that man think that he can be double-minded and doubt. Oh, one day I think he will. Next day I think he won't. Because God won't give you nothing. You have to go after God with the tenacious faith. Because the Bible says in Hebrews, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I want you to walk away from this tonight and ask yourself, could I really say, and I, I'm not saying you've got to spend five hours a day in the Word of God, that's not what I'm saying. Could you just honestly look yourself in the mirror and say, I know that I'm diligently seeking God and I will continue 
to diligently seek God? Or would you have to say, well, to be honest, uh, you know, I know more about the Viking stat this this week than I than I know about the Bible. If that's true, don't get down on yourself. Don't get all discouraged. That's what the devil wants. Just repent, which means change. Just decide, you know what? That's a pile of crap. I'm not going to be this way anymore. Come this time next year, I'm going to know more of the Bible than I know of the Vikings. And then set a course and get on it. I would really admonish you to read along with your one-year Bible one chapter in Proverbs for every corresponding day of the month for the next three or four months. And you'll be amazed at what you find in the book of Proverbs. You'll be amazed. There's so much practical wisdom, so many answers to the things that you're trying to deal with right now in life. Let me just give you these four things. They're very simple. Actually, there's three of them. You get wisdom by, number one, a deep respect for God. If you don't fear Him, you won't go near Him. Because you won't think that He has anything valuable to tell you. Men especially, I want to tell you this, guys. A lot of times, the gals, they're putting us to shame. For whatever reason, God seemed to have made women a little more willing to get advice. A little more willing to humbly cry out and say, help me. Maybe it's really because, as the Bible says, they're weaker vessels and they realize it. And for whatever reason over the years, I've noticed this consistent pattern with men. The classic guy who won't ask for directions doesn't also ask God for directions how to live. It's one thing to be lost going to the Mall of America. It's another thing to have your head in the sand. You knew, you thought what I was going to say, didn't you? You know, you men, you know. You know the phrase, don't you? So I'm not going to say it to you. Because you're too cocky and arrogant to admit you really don't know a thing about life and you really need God's help. And you really don't know a thing about marriage and you really need God's help. God will give you the help. Man, he just waits, and the Bible says he just waits on high to be compassionate to you. Number two, seek him and be devoted to his word and ask him for wisdom. Kim, be devoted to his word and ask him, God, give me wisdom. And I wouldn't just pray for generic wisdom. It's like, Lord, okay, Lord, I got this four-year-old. And Lord, I'm not sure what to do. You know, he's been doing this, he's been doing that. Lord, help me. Um, you know, by the way, a wise person also realizes if you see someone else with a four-year-old and their four-year-old doing pretty good, ask them what they're doing. <laughs> Bible says in a multitude of counsel, there's safety. So, but you know, don't ask some heathen. Don't ask some infidel. Don't ask some mocker, some fool. Go to the wise. But you know what the Bible says? The fool won't go to the wise because the mocker gets rebuked and he doesn't want it. That's one of the ways to tell if you're a mocker. I don't really want to hear what other people have to say. Well, because you know you probably hear something you don't want to hear. Number three, obey whatever he shows you. Obey whatever the Bible says. The Bible is not a hard book to understand, especially the New Testament. The book of Proverbs, the book of Psalms, the New Testament, you know, it's not that hard to understand. Now, the prophets, there's a lot of allegory there. Uh, you're reading Ezekiel right now. Ezekiel is mostly just there to help you understand how seriously God takes sin and injustice and rebellion and idolatry. And that's how he dealt with the children of Israel. He deals differently with you because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. You do. They were not literally his children. Some of them were, some of them weren't. And he was ruling them as a nation. God is not ruling us as a nation. But he still judges nations. He still judges nations. But most of the Bible is just very easy to understand. The Bible says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That means it's right for you to expect your children to obey you. Now, that one's complicated. If the Bible tells them to do it, it means it's okay for you to expect it and insist upon it. For, for some of you, that'd be a great place to start. You know? Now, if they're already 14 and you just got saved a year ago, well, now, you're starting a little farther down the road and we're going to have to work to build trust, put some boundaries up, start being the man or the mother that God called you to be, and... Uh, and be willing to be hated for a while, because that's what will happen. But that's okay. That's okay. It's never too late to start obeying the Word of God. 
Listen, I just want you to know I appreciate you coming to this seminar. It's been great to be able to spend five weeks with you. And uh, pray for this weekend. Please bring your friends. If you've got friends that got kids or whatever, because I think the weekend will be really helpful for them. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you tonight that you're so merciful to any human being. You know, Lord, what's beautiful about you is that you're not a respecter of persons. Whether we're male or female, young or old, if you look at the heart, and if the heart's there, if the heart is really yearning for you, you will respond. And you will give us wisdom. And you will give us understanding. I want to ask you, Lord, tonight, that you'd put a hunger, a deep, insatiable hunger for God and for God's wisdom. I pray that each person will walk out of here tonight with a permanent conviction and a new value that says wisdom is the most important thing and I'm going to get it. And I'm going to make wisdom the pursuit of the rest of my life. Lord, I need your wisdom. I need your wisdom to help lead this church. I need your wisdom to help reach young people. I need your wisdom to guide my children in some of the challenging decisions that are facing them. I need your wisdom, Lord, to be a better husband. Sometimes, Lord, I just feel like a failure as a husband. And I just ask you, God, help me to keep doing the things that are right, even sometimes when I don't feel like doing them. Help me to be a more tender man, a more understanding husband, a more gracious man. Help me, Lord, to be even more appealing to my own wife. God, I just want you to make me more like Christ because I know the more I become like you, the more appealing I'll be to everybody, including my wife. So, Lord, you just have your free will to do whatever you want, to knock whatever edge off my life or, or to reconstruct me from the ground up. Uh, just make me like you. Again, thank you for your precious word. In Jesus' name, amen.